0: When we read God's word, it is spiritual exchange. I want people to understand that. If you read God's word as an intellectual book, which some people do, if you read God's word just as a book where you're just learning principles, concepts, and ideas, then you will read God's word as a textbook. There's nothing really happening spiritually. Uh, But when you read God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit, postured in prayerful meditation, then the reading of God's Word becomes the conduit of spiritual exchange. Um, It becomes a conduit of spiritual transmission. And so we are having a conversation with God through the reading of the Word. I want you to align your spirit um, to the idea that when you're reading God's word, you're looking to hear from him. You're looking f- to hear what God has to say to you, not just concerning that moment, but to also read it concerning, um, uh, sorry, in that moment, that means in that text, but concerning your moment that is in this present moment. God is always speaking. It's up to us to align ourselves to him, to hear what he has to say. God never stops speaking; He's always speaking. And so, guys, I want to encourage you right now. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter thirty, and and we're going to uh, engage in the uh, in the Word of God today. And and so here's here's step one, and I, I believe that this is a powerful endeavor as you engage in the Word. Step one is going to be uh, when you read God's Word, ask three questions. Okay, What is God saying or revealing concerning himself? What is God saying or revealing concerning people? And what is God saying or revealing concerning me? Now, since you'll be reading it, you're going to be asking that question uh, for yourself. What is God saying or revealing concerning you as you read that scripture? And in, and in doing so, what you're doing is you're aligning your spirit to hear from God to hear what God has to say through the reading of the word. We're not called to just simply exegete the word. The word should exegete us as well. The word of God is living and active. And if the word of God is living and active, the scripture tells us in that same verse that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It discerns the thoughts and intentions. So that means the scripture is discerning you and, and, and dividing your thoughts and your intentions. So the scripture is exegeting you in the same way that you are called to exegete uh, the scripture. So with that being said, I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus 30. I'm going to pray. And then afterwards we're going to engage. I don't have anything prepared uh, specifically. I'm I'm trying to get back through, you know, just a crazy weekend. And so now I'm trying to remember where we've been, but either way, um, I just know that the Lord has something to say and to speak to us today concerning his word. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to engage. We're going to engage with it. Uh, Father, we ask Lord that you would speak to us today. (laughs) Lord, we are limited in our awareness. We're limited in our understanding. We're limited in our knowledge. Good Lord, you know all things. Your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. God, I want to hear from you today, Lord. I want to hear from you as, as, as I read your word. We all have come together to hear from you. And so, so speak to us, uh, speak to us, speak through me uh, as we engage and just bless us in this time. We ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. We read for about 20, 20 to 30 minutes, closer to 20 minutes. And then afterwards, we'll rant for a little bit before I go and teach my class. So let's get into it. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse one, it says this. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for molding. You shall make it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides and they will be holders for the poles with which you which with, with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn it on sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Hmm. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give ransom for himself to the Lord. When when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give half a shekel. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is 20 geras and half a shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone, including among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord and the rich shall not give more. And the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord. Make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, and its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the tabernacle to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, that they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Moreover, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an anointment compounding according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them. That they may be most holy, whatever touches them must be holy and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests and you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations and shall not be poured on man's flesh nor shall you make it like uh, make any other like it according to its composition it is holy. And it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord said to Moses Take sweet spices, stacked, onika, calbenum, and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make these an in incense, a compounding, uh, sorry, a compound according to the art of the perfumer salted pure and holy and you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where i shall meet you it shall be most holy to you as for the incense which you shall make you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition it shall be to you holy for the lord whoever makes any like it to smell it he shall be cut off from his people mm chapter 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of of Judah. And I filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. To design artisan works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work all manner of workmanship. And I indeed have appointed him Ohiliab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in their hearts as gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tabernacle of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with it, with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils and the laver in its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, and whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off among the people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he, surely, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on the Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before you, before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and and bring bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The audacity. (laughs) So when Aaron saw it, He built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And indeed, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. Hmm remember abraham isaac and israel your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them i will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and on this land i will have spoken and have um eh, spoken of i give you to your descendants that they shall inherit it forever so the lord relented from harm and he said he would do to sorry so the lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people and Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and two tablets of testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor is the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as they came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it into powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let your do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know, the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that you shall go that 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 shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said, whoever has gold, has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. <laughs> so when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, "Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said, and he said to them, thus says the Lord of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man, his companion, every man, his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 300, sorry, about 3000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. And now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore go lead the people to the place, which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit for punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron made Uh, so much to unpack there. Chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people, which, which you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it and I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you along the way for you are a stiff necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you now. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Sorry. My Bible just shut down. Verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. Sorry. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked to Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you that I might may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Hmm. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall, Separate your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For if you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. <sighs> so much uh, to unpack here. Um, and obviously we're not afforded the time to unpack this entire scripture that we just read. And that's okay. It's okay because this time that we spend here together is more about the activity of reading the word than it is about a Bible study per se, where we're studying all of this. We could spend weeks just studying this part of our reading. Okay. I just want to make sure we're clear on that, that there is a significant amount of uh, material here that we would have had to cover and to break down in order to understand the complexities of what's going on, uh, the intricacies of what's going on in this particular portion of text. So that's not what I'm here to do. More importantly, what I'm here to do is to engage you in the reading of the word and to expose you to things that you may not have been exposed before. Okay. Um, To expose you to uh, the power, the profound power, that God's word has in developing us in him and to grow us in the grace of God. The word of God is living and active. It's powerful. Okay. It's powerful. So with that being said, as I'm, engaging in this word today, there are two things that, and, and, and mind you, this is what we're doing. We're, we're essentially just asking three questions, right? We're asking, what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? And as I've been praying through this uh, and, and and carrying this thought, as I'm reading through the scriptures, there are a few things that, that, that have stuck out to me in the reading of scripture. Um, The altar of incense, Just to give you guys just a framework for how we read uh, uh, Exodus, this is a book that chronicles the history of the children of Israel, right? We had Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise that through his bloodline, through his seed, that many nations would be blessed. Through his seed, many nations would be blessed, that God would institute his righteousness, his justice, his government, his kingdom through Abraham's bloodline. That's what he says. And so now um, Abraham begets Isaac. The promise is transferred to Isaac because Isaac is covenant. Um, Ishmael is works. Ishmael still took part in the blessing because of um because of Abraham. And, and, and we already saw the story, but Isaac was the one who was, uh, was birthed out of the covenant that Abraham had with Sarah. Because again, it's where Sarah came from as well. Again, God is preserving a bloodline. Isaac then begets Jacob and Israel, like Jacob and Esau. Jacob wrestles with God and he becomes Israel. Israel births 12 sons out of covenant. Um, and, and this is interesting when we talk about out of covenant, but that's another conversation for another day. But he, he birthed 12 sons and out of the 12 sons came Joseph. Joseph, of course, uh, went to Egypt, went before his brothers, established a, 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 uh, uh, a place of refuge for them during their time of uh, a famine, and so they go to they go to Egypt. They spend too much time in Egypt because they were supposed to go back to the Promised Land. They spent too much time in Egypt, and as a result, became a nation there, fell into bondage to the Egyptians, and lost the land that was already theirs. So, what happens? Side note: is what happens when you occupy a temporary place for too long. Hmm. When when you step away from the promise to occupy a temporary place for too long and you stay in that place and in staying in that place, you lose your place in the promise. And now when God gives you the promise back, you've got to journey your way back to it. You don't get to just, you know, it doesn't just get handed to you, but now you've got to journey back to it. And now you've got to combat those who have now have occupied your place of promise. That's another word for another day. That's not where I'm at today. Now they're on their way back and they're in the wilderness. Moses, of course, is the prophet who was called out to send them back and he sends them back um, um, to send them out of Egypt so that they can go back to, to Canaan. And now they're journeying through the promised land, sorry, through the wilderness to go to the promised land, the wilderness, the distance between the wilderness. Sorry, the beginning of the wilderness to the end of the wilderness, the distance from Egypt to the promised land. Should have taken them a few weeks to get there. Shouldn't have taken them very long. But we're starting to see the character of these people and realizing that even though they're in the wilderness, they have not yet embodied the character for the promise. And so because they didn't embody the character for the promise, God says, we read in the scripture that they stayed there. They stayed there. Um, they spent a significant time at Mount Sinai. They spent a significant time uh, at Mount Horeb. They spent they spent a significant time at the mountains because they weren't ready yet to move on to the next place. Now these people, remember, they're the people now who have called who were called to become a nation. They established a covenant with God. This covenant was sealed by blood and this covenant would be that they would now become the nation that would usher in the kingdom of God, that they would be the ones who would represent God to show what God was truly like. They were going to be a nation of priests and to be a nation of priests, God established a covenant with them as to how they were going to live to be set apart from the rest of the world. They were going to be a different kind of people. They were going to be a peculiar kind of people. They weren't going to be like everyone else. And so, because they weren't called, they were called not to be like everyone else. Here we are, here we are. This is the law that was instituted for them that they would be the representatives of God on earth. Now. Notice that this law and I've been talking about posture was not written to you. Okay. Um, I'm saying this because I want you to, I want to realign your focus to step out of this text and to step out of the scripture for a second. And as you read it, to stop inserting yourself into it and to read it for what it is, that the scripture was written to the children of Israel to be the priests of God on the earth to reveal to the earth what God is truly like, to reveal to the earth what God's kingdom looks like. I'm I'm, I'm making sure I give you a foundation here because a lot of times people read the book and they read Exodus and they read it like it's for them. So they read the 10 commandments like it was written to them. They read all these commandments and these laws and they read it as if it was written to them. It was not written to, to, sorry, to, to you. It's not written to you. It's written to the children of Israel. Okay. It's written to the children of Israel. And so God gives them now and institutes these laws. And the preamble of those laws is the 10 commandments. And then afterwards we begin to see all these laws that, that God is instituting to set them apart. To be holy, people talk talk about who, sorry, people talk about holiness, what it means to be holy. Being holy literally means to be set apart. That's it. It means to be set apart. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. It means to be peculiar. It means to be set apart from everything else that when they see you, they see something different. This is what God has called the children of Israel to. Okay. This is what God has called the the children of Israel to. He's called them to be set apart so that they can reveal to the world, world, what God is like. And so once they have made the commitment, they, they made that commitment. They signed the contract with God. They signed the covenant with God to be the people of God that would institute God's righteousness and justice on earth. And in doing so, then God responds by embodying his presence among them in the tabernacle. Now we finally get here. I'm sorry if it took me a while to get here. I want to make sure I set the stage. I'm going to keep doing that because there are new people here. And if you're new here and you're like, wait, I want to read some of these other reading rants because I've missed a lot. If you've missed any of the reading rants, I want you to go back and uh, you can always go back to the previous ones. They're on our Facebook group. It's the font everywhere on Facebook. I want to encourage you to go on there, the font everywhere on Facebook, and you can catch all the other reading rants. We're reading through the entire Bible. Okay, we read through the New Testament. Now we're going back. We're starting with the Old Testament and we're going to read all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament. And you're going to begin to see the the, the, the beauty of the gospel when you see it in its totality and its richness because we miss it. So it's the font everywhere on Facebook. So now we see the purpose of the tabernacle, that the purpose of the tabernacle was to embody the presence of God among people his chosen people. Where has this presence been embodied before? Well, it was embodied in the garden of Eden. When we read in Genesis chapter two, we see the, the garden that the Lord had created and put man in it. The scripture says that he put man in the garden to tend it and to keep it. Stay with me for a second fam. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. He put man in the garden to tend it and to keep it. In Genesis chapter two, it gives us two things. First, it tells us that he breathed into man, breathed into his nostrils. I believe it's in verse eight, the breath of life and he became a living soul. What we call a Nefesh. That's the that's the Hebrew word for it. Nefesh. He became a Nefesh. He says in Genesis chapter one, let us create a man in our own image, according to our likeness. Meaning, mankind, human beings, are the representatives of God on earth. From the beginning, mankind was called to be a priest. Not a man but mankind was called to be a priest and in his covenant to be priests on earth to embody God on earth he put then man in the garden to tend it and to keep it meaning he was the administrator of God's government on earth Who stay with me family he was Mankind was the ambassador, male and female, the ambassadors of God on earth. And so Eden was the holy place where God and man were in covenantal union, where man was actively participating as priest. That's all a priest is, is a mediator between God and the physical. And now, of course, Adam sins. The covenant is broken. He's then kicked out of the garden. Eden is lost. Okay. And so now God is reinstituting his justice and his government through his people. Man, I don't have enough time. I'm realizing I'm spending too much time on this. Through through his people. And instituting his law and his justice through his people, he now reestablishes a remnant of Eden in the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the embodiment of the presence of God among the people. And so when the when when, when the children of Israel receive the instructions from God, because Moses receives these instructions from God, he receives these instructions from God. Now watch this. He receives the instructions from God. But these instructions are very meticulous, they're very detailed. This is how it ought to be, this is how it ought to look, and all of it, all of it was to be a representative image of Eden. Maybe we'll do a Bible study on Tabernacle. I got a whole list of Bible studies that I'm intending on doing in in the Facebook group or on IG or something, I don't know. We'll, we'll, We'll figure it out. So the tabernacle is an image, a foreshadow of Eden. And now what God is saying is, is this tabernacle, everywhere you go, this tabernacle is going to go with you. So everywhere you go, the world will be reminded that God is at the center of his people and that everywhere his people go, Eden goes with them. Go ye therefore. Bring Eden with you, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, fill the earth with Eden, multiply Eden in all the earth. Eden has been lost and yet God is already in the business right now of bringing restoration to Eden. This tabernacle, this tabernacle represents the presence of God here. Now, eventually, remember, I'm going to be leaving you in a lot of tension because I need you to just understand this. And we have to stay in this tension because sometimes we get to the resolution of the tension, but we need to read the word for what it says directly for what it says. So I'm not going to resolve the tension. I need to leave you here so you understand that we have been given something that the people in Exodus did not have. We have the privilege of something that, that the people in Exodus did not have. We have something better than the people in Exodus. If you read the New Testament with us, we're reading with a cheat code because we've already read it, but we're going to stay here. for We're going to sit here with them right now because we have something better. We could easily jump to the better thing we have, but they don't have it yet. (laughs) They don't have it yet. So we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here. All right. So journey with me as we stay in this tension. We got something better. They ain't got it, but what does it look like when they don't have it? They have the law, the presence of God is sitting among them. And yet they do not have access to the presence. And here now God is giving them all these instructions, right? He's giving Moses all these instructions as to what he ought to do. And we get here now, now we get to to Exodus chapter 30. And Exodus chapter 30, he gives him instruction on the altar of incense. And I'm going to get there in a minute. Then in Exodus 31, he talks about the artisans that he will use to build the tabernacle. Um, the artisans, by the way, notice he says that he's filled them with the spirit to have wisdom, understanding and knowledge. That means that even the engineer, even the uh, um, the architect, the person who, who does construction, the person who is building beautiful buildings is one who's been anointed by God. It's the spirit of God that gives us the creativity to do these things. That anything, and I know I was praying for all the uh, people who were in fashion and art, because I felt the Lord was leading me to that on Friday when I was praying for you guys um, at the end of our read and rant. But this is what the Lord wants you to know, is that God is working through your creativity. He's building through you. He's creating through you. And if anything is created that is beautiful, it's because God gives us the creative ability to do and to make beautiful things. Okay. And that's what God does. That's why uh, for those who are in the arts, or for those who are in engineering, for those who are in design, for those who are um, building and constructing and all these things that people are doing, sometimes they do and they don't realize what they're doing is actually ministry. What you do is ministry. If you're an engineer, you're doing ministry engineering. You don't need to leave your engineering business. Okay. You don't need to leave your engineering firm to, to, to become a minister of Jesus Christ. If you build beautiful buildings, you're already a minister of Jesus Christ. You don't need to. Um, quit your your job or your 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 entre your enterprise and, and just put that to the side so that you can do God's work. You're doing God's work in your entrepreneurial endeavor. You don't you don't need to say, "Well, I'm just a painter. I don't do anything special." Your painting is ministry because you're doing the work of God. If you're a doctor, you don't need to quit your field to do ministry. Well, you know, I think I'm going to shut down my practice. Yeah, it's been successful, but, you know, I just want to do God's work now. No, your practice is God's work. (laughs) You understand? Your practice itself is God's work. Okay. And so he tells them that they've been filled with the spirit of God. To do work in gold and bronze and silver of cutting jewels for settings. You understand that those that work that they're doing was inspired by God. God inspires beauty. God inspires creativity. God inspires these things. And then we talk about the Sabbath law. Notice we're going to stay here for a minute because the Sabbath law that they have, they don't have what we have today. So let's read it. They don't have what we have. Okay. What they have is the law. We have something better, but what they have is the law. And what the Sabbath law said was, is that they were, they they were to put the day aside that this day is holy. What does that mean for the day to be holy? It means that the day was set apart again. Why to distinguish them from the rest of the world? Because they were set apart. We're going to break this down. He says, be holy for I am holy. So he's setting that day apart that they would practice that day that was set apart because again, God has set a particular day apart to rest, that they would practice this in order to reveal God to the rest of the world. Remember they're the priests. And he says in verse 17, that, that it is a sign, notice that the Sabbath was a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice that. That he says that it was a sign. It was pointing to a day. Okay. Um, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That was the time of the Sabbath, right? That it would be set apart. There would be there would not be any work, anything to be done. This is what God asked them to do. Notice, none of this is written to us. <laughs> okay. I keep, I'm going to keep reminding you that when he wrote this, he wrote this to the children of Israel. He didn't write this to us. Okay. Remember, step away. See, it's so easy to fall back into and go, oh, okay. So I should be doing this because no, 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 stop, stop. It's written to the children of Israel, not to you, to them. Okay. Okay to them. And so that day was set apart to do what? Not to, not 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 to, you know, sometimes we, we set it apart because it's sacred and we must worship. No, it was set apart and it was sacred to reveal God to the rest of the world. And so God writes the law. Moses has put, you know, God has written this on tablets of stone. With his finger. And afterwards I'm just going to walk you through the text. Tablets of stone. With his finger. And then afterwards. He comes down. Notice it hasn't been instituted yet. It's been Moses and God. On the mountain. He comes down from the mountain. And he sees. Cacophony. These are the chosen people of God. And these chosen people of God are worshiping a golden image. These chosen people of God are worshiping an idol. God makes a covenant with them. And they're worshiping a golden calf. I have time to break this down, but there's two things that stick out to me from all of this. Oh man, there's so much. I don't have time. Okay, let me just let me just give what I what I can, um, and maybe we'll 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 continue to unpack it tomorrow, um, as we continue to read this tomorrow. But I want you to see something here, family. Moses comes down and he says to Aaron who is the chief who who will be instituted who's anointed we saw that anointed chief priest the high priest and he says to Aaron what's going on here? he's telling like what's going on? and Aaron says in response he says Don't let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. He's like, Moses, you know these people, man. You know what they're like. You know what these people are like. You know, you you know, you know them. Come on. And so they say to me, make us gods that that shall go before us. Because Moses, he, he ain't here. We haven't seen him. He might be dead up there. We haven't seen him. It's been a minute. I think it's just time for us to just make our own God and build our own golden calf. And then Aaron responds and says to Moses, and I said to them, whoever has gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into this fire, into the fire. And watch this part. He says, and this calf came out. Stay here. I I don't have a lot of time, so I want to make sure y'all see it, y'all caught it. Because I'm asking God, what is he saying to me? It's so easy as, as a spiritual leader, or as a minister, or as a pastor, or for those who are apostles or prophets. It's so easy for us to acquiesce to the pressure of culture. It's so easy for us to acquiesce to the pressure of society. And to say that because these people are such a stiff necked people, let me just bend. To what they want to do. I don't want to resist them. I'm not gonna fight them. Let me just give them this. That way, just to keep them under control. Two things I want you to see. First of all, we we uh oh man, there's so much. Two, two things I want you to see. First of all, we give Aaron a lot of flack, and he deserves it, by the way. We give a lot Aaron a lot of flack, and he deserves it. He deserves it. But as I'm reading this text, I think sometimes we don't insert, we, we, we don't understand the context of what's happening here. These people have been riled up. There's a lot of them. And Aaron's very much aware that if he doesn't acquiesce to their request, then these people could kill him. They could revolt and kill him. His life is on the line. It's not just, oh, let me just do what they want to do, you know, and you know, no, there was pressure here. And as a result of the pressure, Aaron bent to the pressure, and in bending to the pressure, he not only permitted, because notice what he says in the text. He says, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. This is him, you know, telling, telling Moses. So they gave it to me, and I cast into the fire, and this calf just came out. Is that how it actually happened? No, that's not how it happened. Aaron didn't just throw it into the fire and it melted and all of a sudden magically a calf just showed up. But that's how he says it here where are those golden and break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast into the fire. It's this is this speaks into the tendency that we have that when we get found out for the things that we do that we just say all of a sudden hey, it just happened, you know, when When, when, when you got pregnant, it just, it just happened. I don't know. It's just, it just happened. Or, or when we get uh, caught in a certain financial situation, it just, it just happened. Or when we find ourselves stuck in some really messy things, we just kind of go, it it just happened. It just kind of just, it just, I don't know. Like one thing led to another and it just, it just happened. It just, listen, you know, these people, you know how they are, you know? you know how he is, you know how he is. He just, he wanted to stay at my place. He wanted to stay at my place and you know, he didn't have a job at the time and he he needed, he needed, you know, he he needed somewhere to stay and I couldn't let him stay on the street. I couldn't let him do that. So I just kind of let him stay at my house, you know, and you know, and then when he's, you know, I was sleeping on the couch, but then all of a sudden he ended up, you know, Laying somewhere else <laughs> we, We've we all done it We've all done it You know We've all done it Where we craft out stories To explain how we get stuck In some of the things that now we look And everybody looks at it was How did you get here? Like how did you get here? Well you know See what happened was Well you know Exactly right, Shannon. Just like Adam. Well, you know, the woman you gave me. So we we craft out all these excuses. But that's actually not what happened. The text tells us in the previous chapter that, sorry, not in the previous chapter, just a few verses before, that Aaron told them, bring, bring, bring your earrings, bring all the gold. And Aaron shaped out the calf. Aaron did it. Oh, but before Moses, Aaron, you know, you know, it just, I just kind of threw in the fire and just, you know, this calf just came out. (laughs) This calf just came out. Notice that Aaron finds himself actively engaged in an activity that's antithetical to who he is because he has chosen to bend to the pressure of culture and society. Did you hear me? How often do we do that? How often do we simply just acquiesce to things? Uh, Because, you know, everybody wants to do it like this and it's what everybody else is doing. So, uh, I mean, you know, uh, Oh, we point, we point fingers at Aaron, but how often is it that we, we are, we're Aaron. The only thing is that Aaron was under a lot more pressure than we are. So e- even though it's easy for us to stick up our noses at Aaron and say, mm-hmm, look at that Aaron, you know, worshiping Baal, worshiping God, worshiping another God, letting them worship other gods. How much do we do that? How much do we let people worship other gods? Ooh, man of God. How often is it that you have allowed um, women to worship you? You've become God for them. Husbands, how often is it that we put our wives in positions to put us before God? And to prioritize us before God. How often is it, woman of God, that you make, you make, you become a a priority over God? Pastor, how often is it? That you've made that coming to God requires you to come, requires them to come to you. How often is it that we have created idols, even in the church? We have put calves everywhere. We put golden calves. Here's the thing that people understand is idol worship is never directly idol worship. Okay, let me make sure I back that up for a minute. Idol worship is never directly idol worship. If you understand idol worship, they're actually not worshiping the calf. They're worshiping what the calf embodies. They're they're worshiping what they believe now occupies the calf. Here's the problem. A lot of people cannot just worship God. They need some kind of image to put God into to worship it. And rather than worshiping God, now they'll find themselves worshiping the image, meaning they need the image now to worship God. Oh, stay with me, family. Uh, they, need the, they, they need the image to worship God. So I need a, a church building to go to to worship God. Mm. I need a sermon on Sunday to worship God. And the church has to look a certain way in order for me to worship God. I need uh, The pulpit has to look a certain way for me to worship God. The pastor and the preacher have to dress a certain way for me to worship God. I know I'm cheating here a little bit, but didn't Jesus say that the day will come where God will not be worshiped in buildings and temples on mountains or in any location. That God is spirit and they that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. But the problem is, is we live in a culture today where we're trying to embody God in people and in things. So we can't worship God unless there's a man of God or a woman of God who I can worship God through. We can't worship God unless there's a church community that I can worship God through. We make worshiping God really what embodies idols. And we as the church and as pastors and as leaders, we acquiesce to this. We let people throw their gold and their silver, their tithes and their offerings so that you can build bigger buildings and bigger institutions and build bigger platforms and to do bigger things. Why? Because, you know, God is in that. God is in everything. More importantly, God is in you and the travesty of it is that they have fallen into the same temptation as Adam and Eve did in the garden of Eden, when God was in them and with them and through them embodying in them that they were ruling and executing God's judgment through the spirit of God that was in them, that God was in them, that they lost the tabernacling that they had with God. And now they needed a tabernacle and an image in order to know that God was among them. It's a travesty. And Aaron acquiesces to their requests. He builds the structures that they could worship because they don't see that they can worship God without the structures. There are people even today that feel like they can't worship God unless they go to church. There are people today who can't worship God because Their husband left them. Or they can't worship God because of their wife. Since when did he become God? Since when when did she become God? How often is it that we've worshiped God through our activities and our things? Let's throw some money into it. Then I know it's worship. In America, we've built big institutions and big buildings and big platforms. We put millions of dollars into them. But often we know the preachers that preach about Jesus more than we know Jesus. We know uh, the men and the women of God who preach about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. Hmm. We know Prophet so-and-so very, very well. We've listened to all their teaching and everything, but we don't know Jesus. Oh, I know Apostle so-and-so. I follow him all the time. I follow her all the time, whoever it is, but we don't know Jesus. So we point fingers at Aaron, not realizing that we've created that as well. Inadvertently. Somehow we threw it into the fire and oop! A calf came out. How did that happen? It happened because we acquiesce to the pressure of culture and society. The, the, The Hebrews learned idol worship from the Egyptians. But didn't God tell them, do not leave with the leaven. He said, make sure when you leave, have unleavened bread. Do not let Egyptian environment go with you into the wilderness. And yet they brought Egyptian ideology. Into the wilderness with them. They brought what they learned through Egyptian culture along with them. They, they, pagan culture along with them. They didn't learn idol worship till they went to Egypt. And now they brought it with them. And I ask myself, are we doing the same thing? Do we, do we allow political philosophy and political ideology? tribe of the church. Have our churches become political institutions when our kingdom is not of this world? Whew. Did we let the leaven of Egypt get in our bread? He is the bread of life, and yet he will not take the leaven. And just a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. Aaron has created a golden calf and I'm asking myself today, have we created golden calves? Have we family? Have we created golden calves? Are we really set apart? Are we really different? The last thing I'll, and I have to close is I got to go. And we're going to stay in this tension because they have, we have something they do not have. They don't have it. But I'm going to go back to the first chapter when he talks about the altar of incense and what the Lord has spoken to me this morning as I've been reading. He says in the last verse, verse 38, of the incense, the sweet aroma of the incense. He says, whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. God is very meticulous in the formula of his aroma. And God takes his aroma and his scent very, very seriously. And as I'm reading this text and seeing how much emphasis, this meticulous detail that God is asking, this formula of what the aroma ought to look like and smell like. I'm reminded that in that time, The world was not a very good smelling place. People took showers maybe once a week. You had animals everywhere. (laughs) Hygiene wasn't a thing then. Right? We have uh, running water and we have uh, sewage and everything else. That time was a very smelly time. Pretty much smelled all the time. And yet God spent all this time to formulate an aroma. And as I'm reading it, I'm realizing that what God was doing is, as God was saying, where I am cannot smell like the world that you came from. That the presence of God ought to have a different aroma. That when people walk into the tabernacle, even if they come to the outer court, they should smell something different. Out there, it smells like body odor and feces. It smells like animal and body odor and feces. But when I come, people ask, why did God spend so much time on the incense? Because when you walk in, you should smell a different aroma. You should know the environment has changed and knows what he says. He says whoever makes any like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. He was saying nothing should smell like my presence. My presence is that distinct from everywhere else. It tells us of the distinctness of God that is the holiness of God, but it also tells us of the travesty that they can't bring the aroma with them. And yet this is the privilege that we have that we get to have that aroma everywhere we go now. I say this to say to you that when people see you and where you go, as you carry the presence of God, do people smell something different? Do they sense a different aroma? When the tabernacle that has been established on your heart, Goes somewhere else. Do so people go, hmm, something on that person. A blind person who walks in would know that this is a different environment. Family, may we bring the aroma of God with us everywhere we go. May we as Exodus chapter 30 verse 23 says, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane. May we leave and walk with the aroma of God. Do we smell like the world? Do we smell like our environment? Or do we, family, Smell like God. Father, I ask, Lord, as we read this word, we're convicted of the distinctness and the uniqueness of your aroma. Father, I pray, Lord, as we continue to navigate through your word, Lord, seeing how the children of Israel have navigated through the wilderness, how you are establishing your presence, Father, I ask, Lord, that we would not, Lord, acquiesce to the pressures of culture. Hmm the pressure of society, but Lord, to be willingly distinct, separate, to have an aroma that is distinct from everything else. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would lead us to righteousness. Lord, to not serve idols and not to be, Lord, complicit in the construction of the idols that our world uh, so desperately wants to serve. But Lord, that we would be the images of you, that people would see you in all that we do, that they would know that we are Lord members of your body, called to bring righteousness and justice everywhere we go. So Father, let the world smell your aroma on us. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen.